And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who is an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Let's sing after the sermon from hymn 53, 1 and 2. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, do you like to be liked? Of course, you say. Yeah, you want your friends, you want your teacher, your, your parents to say, good job, well done. And you know, that doesn't get old, even if you might. Sadly, there's sometimes a huge hole in our lives because when we were younger, that was never said to us. But have you ever stepped back and looked at yourself and said, aha, uh-huh. that's why I said what I said. That's why I did what I did. I wanted others to, to say they liked me. This controlled me. This is actually shaping my life. After all, it's not only money or alcohol or sex that can become your God. We can also spend time worshiping at the altar of approval. In fact, that was a big part of the lives of the Pharisees. What a lesson those Pharisees are. They look very religious. They look very serious about God and His law. But the Lord Jesus Christ, He says at one point, they are like nice-looking Tombs. Inside, they're so much different. There's greed. They love money. And also this, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. Matthew 25, 23, 5. In fact, that's also said in the Gospels of more people who did not want to openly confess their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. John 12, 43. They love the glory that came from man. More than the glory that comes from God. Because there is that. And this is the antidote to our obsession with being liked. The glory that comes from God. There is the praise that we give God. There is also the praise that God gives us. Not quite the same thing, of course, but yet sort of similar. You can say this to your approval-seeking heart. I want my God to praise me. I want my God to smile at my life one day. I want my God to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master. Because there is that promise in Scripture. Not only about Praising God, but about the God who praises. In fact, there are a few scripture passages that have a sort of pun. The name Judah, and then the word Jew. Originally that meant something like praiseworthy. 
Jacob in Genesis puns about his son and promises him, Judah, your brothers will praise you. The Apostle Paul in Romans 2, at the end of that chapter, he asks the question, who is the true Jew? The one who is circumcised inwardly by the Spirit. And then he says this, his praise is not from man, but from God. Romans 2.29 Well, here in the book of Revelation, the church of Smyrna receives praise. In fact, in this letter, there's not a single word of admonishment. There's no but, like there is in most of the other letters. There's no, yes, you're, you're doing pretty good, but... I have this against you, but you still need to do this better. Here there is no but. And that's also true of another church, the one, the letter to Philadelphia. And do you know what those two churches in the book of Revelation have in common? They're both undergoing persecution. They're being faithful to their devotion to Christ, and they are suffering for it. And it's only going to get worse. But then there is this to hold on to. And we must as well, because this is the only way to continue to hold on in the midst of troubles and difficulties. We need to know the approval, the praise that our God and Savior also gives. And so I proclaim to you God's word under this theme. Christ approves of His persecuted church. We'll look at two things, that he knows our troubles, and secondly, we must know his victory. Now, as we look at this letter here, again, we need to highlight the structure of these seven letters. You might know that in the book of Revelation, in chapter 1, there's first of all a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ in his glory. That's the first thing that we need to see. And maybe in Fergus North, we'll get a little bit further through the book of Revelation, Sometimes where things seem a little bit mysterious and and puzzling. But you need to, first of all, spend time in chapter 1. The end of chapter 1 where the Apostle John sees the glory of the risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ. So much starts there to first see that. And that's our challenge too in our day and age. There's so much put before us, so much that can consume us, so much news that we can be busy with. For every one look that we take of the news, we need to take ten looks, really, at the Lord Jesus Christ and at at His Word. Each of the letters to the seven churches begins with, again, a little recap, too, of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. So much depends upon this. And here to the church of Smyrna, you can read, the words, or maybe thus says, the first and the last who died and came to life. And that's just what the persecuted church needs to hear. Life is very fragile. COVID, that is really only the tip of the iceberg. 
as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. In a way, we should know life is so much more fragile. There's great opposition in this world to the church of Christ. There's great hatred of the church of Christ. The history of the Christian church is a history of its suffering. Martin Luther made suffering one of the marks of the true church. The Christian life is not an easy street. And if we have made it into that, we should take a sober second look at our lives. Have we cleverly learned not to be offensive? Have we cleverly learned how to sort of blend in to the world around us? And certainly, we should not be offensive ourselves personally. But the cross of Christ, the glory of Christ, will always offend our world. And so then, in a way, will all those who hold on to that cross and that Savior. So there is persecution and hardship. Not just for those dealing with COVID, but even more so for the church of Christ. What do we read in 2 Timothy 3.12? The Apostle Paul. He says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. That's a very blanket statement. It's not just for him. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. There are no exceptions. But in the midst of that, look at your Savior. Look at what this church of Smyrna hears. Thus says the first and the last. Ah, yeah. Sometimes life seems so fragile. And it, and it is so. But our Savior, He is the first and the last. He was there thousands of years ago. He will be there whenever world history ends. And this isn't just a time thing either. First and last, that means He is the source of it all. All of this is all the plans of our Savior. He is the end of it all, as well the goal of all things. Then also He died and came to life. If we did not have a Savior who walked a difficult road, then you could perhaps understand us being a little more nervous, concerned, worried, distressed by persecution or other difficulties. But our Savior died and came to life. He also walked a difficult road, a far more difficult road than we do. How can we then fear any path that we might have to take in our devotion to Him. He died and He came to life. You could translate the, that phrase too. He, he died very vividly. He became a corpse. The shadow of death is upon us. 
and even more so now in this time of history. But it was not just the shadow of death that came upon the Lord Jesus Christ. But yet He came to life. He burst forth from the tomb. And that means that the the hatred then of the world or the oppression of the Roman authorities and the Jewish leaders, that was not the end. I know your tribulation and your poverty, he says, though you are rich. It would seem that being a Christian in this city of Smyrna was difficult. It's possible that things are similar, like as in the letter to the Hebrews, uh, where authorities arbitrarily confiscated the goods of Christians. It was likely that in Smyrna, you maybe didn't get certain business, certain jobs, because you did not belong to the local trade guild. In good conscience, you could not, as a Christian, belong to that local trade guild. Because questionable things were done in in pagan temples as members of that trade guild. It was hard to be a carpenter in Smyrna. a, A Christian carpenter. More on that in just a bit. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. The persecuted church. We too need to hear that. There are riches that this world does not even consider, that are not even on their radar. We have such rich lives. No matter what financial hardship we might have, and most of us have hardly had any, even in this present crisis, we are rich in the knowledge of the true God. We are rich that our lives are rooted in His love. We are rich with the blessing of the Spirit. Rich because of His Word. And all of that is not sort of like a consolation prize. Well, things are tough. You've got financial troubles. But at least you know you have this. No. The knowledge of the true God Humility before Him and others. A life that is lived in worship to Him. Those are true riches. Do not forget the treasures that you have in your walk with God. And do not forget to treasure them. If you do not know that treasure then things will be difficult and you will not know your way. Because things are only going to get worse, says Christ to this church. The devil is about to throw some of you into prison for ten days. Now let's stop here for just a moment. Today there's a lot of questions about listening to our government. Should we actually be physically meeting together, for instance, in defiance of our government? It's often, well, it's sometimes been said, our our, our governments, we don't bow to them. 
We can't trust them even. Our government is corrupt. At the time of the Reformation, there were also those voices. You might know that at one point, there was a large peasants' revolt against the German authorities. And at one point, there was a big massacre. 4,000 German peasants were, were killed in a single battle. This was all the devil's work, said Martin Luther, through and through. Luther urged submission to the authorities, no matter who they are. When Paul wrote Romans 13, do not resist the authorities for anyone who resists them, resists what God has appointed. He was not talking about respecting and obeying a, a good Christian, God-fearing government. He was talking about not resisting the evil and corrupt Roman Empire. Luther rightly so stressed to his people, rather than taking matters into your own hands and revolting against the authorities, learn to be patient. Learn to trust and wait upon your God. And here's something a little bit more too, as I was reading last week. You know, the places in Germany where this spirit of rebellion grew were more often than not places where the gospel had not yet reached and penetrated. I mean the gospel that had just been rediscovered at the time of the Reformation. The gospel of justification by faith alone. The gospel that God came into this world to die for rebels like you and me. And Luther, Martin Luther prayed fervently that that gospel would go out and be heard and believed upon because then there would not be the soil for all these other strange and twisted ideas to grow up in and dominate. Yes, the German peasants were fed up with their government, which was evil. But Luther saw this. Instead of the story being how bad and how corrupt our authorities are, the story of our lives needs to be the story of how bad and corrupt we are. And yet God has shown us Such amazing grace. Do not today fall into temptation. That temptation that fills the pages of history and also the pages of church history. You see that same temptation at the time of the New Testament with the Jews around the Lord Jesus Christ, the zealots and others. The temptation to think that the great evil in the world is, is out there. I mean, in the, in the governments or wherever it might be, yes, the government is more evil than we are told and than we think. 
Without a doubt, the governments of this world have been involved in great evil and deception that extends much more than just beyond the time of World War II. But do not let that be the story that you live by. Is it Rome that is the world's biggest problem? Is it, is it the Antichrist? Not really, actually. Your heart and my heart is darker than the worst conspiracy theory that you might read. And there may even be truth in those theories. But may then the story of your life be the story of God's love for you, filled with such hatred. God's grace for you, a sinner, filled with such rebellion against the heavenly authority. But back to Revelation. You see, this will put things into perspective. Smyrna, and this is true of, well, the whole Roman Empire, but especially Smyrna. Smyrna was a city devoted to the emperor. There was an altar built to him, one of the first of the Greek cities. There was also a temple to Roma, to the goddess Rome. So in a way, the Roman Empire was worshipped. Emperor worship was Smyrna's pride and joy. It showed how loyal they were to the empire. It showed what, what good citizens they were. Now there was one exception to all of this, and that was the Jews. The Jewish religion was regarded by the Romans as an ancient religion. And so as long as the Jews kept the peace, they could keep their religion, they could practice it, and they did not actually have to worship the emperor. And that meant that Christians, at first Christians, it was all okay for them. Because in the beginning, Christianity was regarded as just another form of Judaism. A Jewish sect, you might say. So Christians, too, did not have to take a pinch of incense and burn it to the emperor and call him Lord. But, read through the book of Acts, read through the letters of of Paul, and you discover there is increasing friction and hatred between Jews and Christians. That's behind verse 9. Those who say they are Jews, but yet are a synagogue of Satan. In Smyrna, there was a sizable Jewish population, and it only increased after the destruction of the temple in AD 70. At one point, the Jews approached the authorities in the city and said, you know those Christians? They're not just another kind of Jew. They're something else entirely. They cannot then claim protection. They cannot claim freedom of religion. And so the Christian church was hated and persecuted, not just by the Romans or the Greeks, 
but also by the Jews. Maybe you know the story of Polycarp. Polycarp was the minister of this very city, Smyrna, in the second century. He might have been alive, might have been a teenager when this letter was first delivered. Polycarp was finally put to death as an old man because he refused to acknowledge Caesar as Lord. For 86 years I have served my Savior, and he has done me no wrong. How can I then blaspheme my king? And when Polycarp was burned at the stake, the story goes that Jews gathered the wood for that, even though it was the Sabbath day. That was Smyrna's cross. So now let's look at our situation. Is our government demanding our worship? Is it demanding that we sin, that we deny our Savior? Is it demanding disobedience to our God? Only then could we be civilly disobedient. When we can honestly say we must obey God rather than man. Today, this is certainly a unique and a strange way to practice our, our faith, our Sunday gatherings. It's far from ideal. It cannot be the norm. But yet, this is not sinful. This is not something that we need to repent of. This is not something where we need to say, this is a sin against the second commandment. We're worshiping God in our own way. No, and so we will listen to our government and what it decides about our gatherings, and we will pray fervently that this time would be over and over soon. Now look at the test of the church of Smyrna, which was only going to get worse. It was a test of loyalty. That is the test that we still face today. You and I are not commanded to worship the emperor or else we will be imprisoned or or put to death. But yet, the Roman Empire is still alive and well. I mean, the kingdom of man. A life that man tries to build to his own glory. That pushes out the worship of the true God. There is a world that still in an organized way loves to live for its pleasures. Loves to make itself as the authority. You see that with abortion. You see that with the acceptance of homosexuality. You see that with (coughs) the gender fluidity and confusion that exists today. That desire to build the Tower of Babel is still alive and well in this world. And we need to make it very clear that we are not loyal (coughs) to that agenda. And we will count the cost as well. It may be a financial cost to us. We have to support Christian education. (coughs) Excuse me. 
um, other things that, that cost us, even financially. But it may get worse than that, <clears throat> as it did in Smyrna. We may be ridiculed as bigots and haters. There was slander in Smyrna too. But be faithful unto death, says Christ to this church and to us. In the Greek, it's very it's clear that this is an ongoing thing. It's not a one-time action either. Each day, <coughs> make it your commitment to be loyal to your God and Savior. Each day, seek first His kingdom and push away the agenda of the world. You don't have to see where it's all going to go. You don't have to be in control. But be faithful. Be loyal to your God and Savior. For there is a great promise. That's our second point. Be faithful. Even to the point of death. Christ knows it will come to this for some. And you will receive the crown of life. There are different crowns. There's the crown of a king or queen, but there's also the crown of, of, of victory, the gold medal, we would say. That's the crown that's mentioned here that Christ promises his persecuted church. Smyrna was famous for its sort of Olympic games, its sports. But Christ puts before them a far greater prize. That He will give them the crown of life. The crown that is life. And life, of course, in Scripture is much more than just breathing or existence. This is life. As God intended it from the beginning. A life filled with God. That brings glory to God. And there is also this promise. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. There are those that have difficulty talking about the first death. And in a way, that's our Western society too. Thankfully, by the grace of God, this current pandemic is at least making us, to, making us realize that we are mortal. Now we are here today and gone tomorrow. Before this, there was sort of a great cover-up where the world wanted to deny the reality of death and even, even the fear of death. But then there's also the second death. The world may try to be in denial of the first death. We as a church... Are we in denial about the second death? There is the wrath of the Almighty God. There is a hell. A place where the loving and good presence of God is not. Just as sinners desire and, and deserve. A place of terrifying darkness, not just in body but also in soul. Christ says in Matthew, 
Do not fear him who can kill the body and not the soul, but fear the one who can kill the body and soul in hell. It's almost a bit strange that Christ uses one fear to drive out another. But that's the only way that some fears can be overcome. We do need to think soberly about the second death. But then there's also this promise. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. We have a Savior who suffered not just the first death, but also the second death. And therefore, He can hold out this promise. Now, if anyone else said this, it would almost be, be, be a joke. But not when this promise comes from Him. From the one who hung on a cross in darkness and cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Be faithful. No matter what the hardship may be. Even if you are brought before the authorities and your life is demanded of you. But hold on to this. You will not be hurt by the second death because of the blood and the power of your Savior. It will not even threaten you. You will not even think that it has any power, that it has any possibility to be a reality. This is what we need to hold on to. You know, the Christian life is certainly not just living up to a moral standard, being nice, being spiritual, or even being religious. No, the Christian life is about knowing Christ. Knowing what He has done and what He will do. It is about knowing His victory. If we are to be victorious, we need to know that victory. And make this too the wonderful goal in your life. To hear His praise. To have Him crown you with the crown of life for running the race faithfully. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Master. Amen.